Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 94 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you very much for finding this show. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. Welcome back to our regular listeners, and a special welcome if this is your first show. I would really appreciate if you would spread the word and tell the world how awesome dogs are and how much they do for us poor humans. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you are listening on. My guest this week is Julie Sloan, and she's going to tell us all about her Rottweiler Tonka. So let's get straight into it. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. I am here with Julie Sloan. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you very much. So whereabouts in the world are you? We are in Middle Tennessee in the U.S. Oh, lovely. And how is the weather at the moment? Very hot. Um, We're in a... A fairly major heat wave, and we hadn't had rain out here in the country for about three weeks. So the grass is crunchy, and um, we're on a well. So we collect every bit of water to keep our plants living. (laughs) And I like the description crunchy grass. (laughs) (laughs) So, who are we going to talk about today? Uh, We're going to talk about our late dog, Tonka. He was. a Rottweiler that he's been gone now a little over four years, but he has uh, kind of stayed a big part of our lives, even after we lost him. Yep. And never, never really gone. <laughs> no. Um, pretty sort of standard. I'm going to ask you to take us back in time to before you and Tonka met and, and tell us about the hows and whys that that sort of happened. Oh, well, that is actually a a fun story. I have had the same best friend, Missy, since first grade. And I won't tell you exactly how old I am, but in my 50s. So a long lifetime of us being best friends. And she still lives in Pennsylvania where I grew up and I live in Tennessee. And so um, she got a Rottweiler, a beautiful boy. And he was already grown by the time that I was able to travel back there and went to her house. And it was just love at first sight. Mm-hmm. He was amazing. He was just, he was a bundle of puppy and love just squeezed into this big, imposing Rottweiler body. And I think I spent the entire visit on the floor, all three of us. And I knew when I left there that one day, if I got into the right situation where I could have a dog like that, that that is, is what I wanted. And um, eventually, uh, you know, I got out of an apartment, got a good job and bought a house. And so the first thing that I did was I want a Rottweiler puppy. <laughs> and, you know, not knowing any better, that was before social media, didn't have any kind of a dog network at all. Rottweiler should probably have not been my very first dog, um, but but we survived. <laughs> and um, I started just looking in the paper and, you know, like I, I found the people that were just breeding dogs in their backyard. And I had no idea that that wasn't the way that I should go. Um, but we went and we got a puppy and um, a female. Um, and she was, she was beautiful, but she really wasn't the typical Rottweiler in terms of personality, which I didn't know. I never had one before. Mm-hmm. Um, she was super easy puppy. She was house trained in a week. She never had an accident in the house. Um, but as she got a little bit older, she really didn't care for all dogs a whole lot. And she didn't care for all men a whole lot. And we didn't have any kind of a network. So 
we really didn't know what to do other than manage it. And she had a great life. We lived in the country at the Fenston Yard. Um, but we didn't really have a life with her like we had with Tonka later um, because we didn't really take her. We couldn't really take her out quite so much as, you know, we we could with him. And so she lived to be 10, though. She had a nice long life and we lost her to cancer. And um, after that, it, it was a period of time, you know, we maybe waited a year before we we thought about another dog. But by that time, I had had learned a lot through the the 10 years with, with Coda, her name is Coda. And so, um, and, and I had made some dog friends and, and especially in the Rottweiler world. And so I had learned a little bit more about how to choose a puppy, where to look for a puppy and what you're looking for and, and what the Rottweiler temperament and personality is like, which was really appealing to me. And I still knew that that was the kind of dog that I wanted. And so, um, I had help with some experienced people in the Rottweiler world to find a good or find some options for good breeders. And as I talked to different people around the country on the phone, um, the arrows kept pointing to actually close to home for us, which was kind of unusual. You know, people tend to travel all over the country to get the right puppy. And so she was about an hour and a half away from us. Her name was Katie from a, a kennel called Stone Ridge. And, um, so I talked to her on the phone. My husband and I went to her house to meet her and we met her dogs. Um, and a lot of people will say like, you know, you, you, you put a lot of adult females or not a lot. I think she had like three um, adult female Rottweilers all living together. You know, you'll have problems of arguments and, you know, her dogs did not. Right. Yep. <laughs> they had toys on the floor. Um, they were fabulous. Um, and so there was actually a confirmation show coming up nearby. And so my husband and I went there and we got to meet her family of dogs, you know, the other where other people owned their dogs and we just fell in love with them. And my husband said, I, I really want one of her dogs. And so uh, she had a litter coming up and, you know, not too awful far in the future. And so we, we waited for, for that litter. And, um, you know, we started watching them on video and, you know, you don't know which one's going to be yours. We knew we were getting a boy, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, you, you just see them all as they you know open their eyes and they start playing. And, and it was really fun to do that. I spent way too much time on the computer <laughs> during that time because I was thinking like, oh, purple boy, he's so beautiful. And, and oh, blue, blue boy, he's really beautiful. And, you know, you're trying to see what their personalities are. And so when they got to a certain age, then she invited us. How many were in the litter? Oh my, I don't actually remember. That's terrible. I should remember, but I don't. No, that's all right. I just remember that a few. for me, I was really attached to blue or purple. Okay. Yep. The, the blue or purple boys. Um, and, you know, I had to ask her at one point um, about how Tonka was related when I was writing the book how Tonka was related to um, another person's dogs from her family. And without looking at anything, she could tell me like exactly how they relate, related all the puppies from all the litters. And I'm like, how do you keep all that stuff in your head? <laughs> and like, look at me. I can't remember even how many puppies were in his litter. So <laughs> um, but so she invited us when they got to a certain age to go to visit and you know, you, you come in, you take your shoes off at the door, you wash your hands. You know, she has this really, she had this really great um, puppy set up, you know, for, for all of them. And I don't know that if there's anything more fun than getting into a pile of puppies no. and just playing with them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when we left that day, we still didn't know which one was going to be ours because, you know, uh, you know, the breeder helps choose as, as much as you tell her what you're looking for, she's choosing because she's living with the puppies. And so um, it was, you know, it was, it was like two days before eight weeks when um, we were going actually to pick him up. And I had this bright idea that I should drive across the country to visit my family like the week before so that I wouldn't be needing to make a trip up there to visit after he was home for an extended period of time. And so I got home the night before the day that we were going to pick him up. I was exhausted from a week of not sleeping hardly at all. And then the 12 hour drive. So I was kind of 
you know, elated and flat, you know, when we got there. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, you know, a long day of looking at all the dogs and their confirmation. And um, because she was um, encouraging us to show him. And um, since she was, you know, since we were local, she would really be able to kind of hold our hands through that. And we never showed before. So, um, you know, we were looking and she was teaching us all about the confirmation. And then, you know, there was, there was two puppies, there's two males. And, you know, we spent time on the floor with them, playing with them. And yeah, how do you choose? Like, there wasn't like one that was like this one. And so, you know, we're kind of going through everything about them, watching them play. And we finally just had to go like, uh, okay, the blue one. <laughs> and, um, you know, it wasn't a lot of fanfare when we brought him home. It was late in the evening. You know, he went out for a pee and put him in his crate. And, um, and that was the start of, you know, life with Tonka. Okay. And where did the name come from? Well, um, I'm, I'm really terrible at naming pets. <laughs> um, I usually think of a few and then torture myself for a few weeks, you know, trying to figure out if that's, which is the right name. And, you know, Coda was named from Lakota Sioux from the, you know, Native American tribe. Mm-hmm. And I, since she was our first Roddy, I, I kind of wanted Tonka's name to be linked there somehow to her. And while he was still percolating, um, <laughs> my husband and I went on a trip out West and we were in one of those little, um, roadside stops that are near, you know, like the, um, national parks that, that where the movie runs, you know, all the time. Okay, and yeah. so we went in and we were watching this movie on the native American tribes of that area area. And I heard the word Tatanka and I'm like, Oh, that's a fabulous name. That's, that's the right name. And it, it actually was the word for Buffalo in the Lakota Sioux language. And so there was the connection to Coda. And so when the movie was done, I asked him what he thought. And he's like, yeah, I think that's a fine name. And so he had a name, we had a name before we had a puppy, which was wonderful because I didn't have to stress myself out about that. But as soon as we brought him home, we knew Tatanka was just too long. And so it got shortened to Tonka almost immediately. <laughs> and, and that's, but that's where the name came from. Ah, very, very nice. And no one pronounces it right. Everyone thinks it's either spelled like Tonka truck or, um, or they call him Tanka because it's T-A-N-K-A. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to be unique. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what were the first sort of few weeks like as a, as a puppy in his new environment there? Oh, wow. That is, uh, that's <laughs> maybe not a funny part of the story. Um, you know, when we started looking for another Rottweiler, I'm like, well, well, we're experienced Rottweiler owners, you know, we've done this before and, but we hadn't done true working line dog at all <laughs> ever or Rottweilers. And so, cause you know, Coda had just been, she she looked like a Rottweiler, but she was just easy. <laughs> she was just really easy. And so um, we brought this little puppy home and he had his teeth on everything, always. <laughs> um, I just started wearing sweatpants for like the first month or two because he if he could put his teeth on it, he put his teeth on it. And I really... I. At about four days, I didn't know what to do. I was like, what did we get ourselves into? <laughs> um, but we we started to find our way. You know, we, we, we looked into training things. We talked to Katie. Um, it, you know, things started to come together. And by about six months, five or six months, we had really bonded. And, you know, because we didn't really bond as him as a tiny puppy. He was cute and I loved him, but um, it was difficult. You know, those first month or two was, you know, it was difficult until we got into um, into that uh, flow and, and, and kind of started to figure things out and get a little bit more knowledge about it. I He, he was the kind of dog, and, and I just think that sometimes that the hard dogs that teach you something mm-hmm. yes. turn out to be the best dogs or either you fail 
<laughs> um, but, um, you know, he, he started to kind of get into the flow of life in the house. House training was fun. Um, for as easy as my first Roddy was, I'd never had a little boy at all. I never had a boy dog at all. Mm-hmm. And he peed like every 10 minutes. <laughs> Thank goodness we had carpet in the house that we were getting ready to pull up. And we're like, let's just leave the carpet down until we're done. So we get the puppy and we're house training. And then we don't have to worry if there's an accident. And there was a lot of accidents. Um, and then one day that he just flipped a switch and he went, oh yeah, I just be outside. outside and so, <laughs> he was gold after that. I'm sorry. What was that? No, I just said nice. Um, was there any other animals in the house when you sort of came in? No, <clears throat> excuse me. No, thankfully, <laughs> just one, just one and two humans. Yeah, and so okay, you said outside, so he had a yard. Yes, we we actually have um, 25 acres, and so uh, 15 nice. of it is is uh, woods. And we had horses when, when we first got Tonka. And so we had about, we had had 10 acres like into pasture, but as our horse herd dwindled over the years, we, we made the pasture smaller so that they were mostly up close to the barn, which is right in our backyard. And we have um, a two acre fenced yard that's cross fenced. So like we have, we tend to take in strays <laughs> and then find homes for them. Um, and so a cross fence yard is always handy because if you have both dogs out at the same time, you don't want them together then. So my husband has done a fabulous job with fencing everything and, and then cross fencing. <laughs> and um, so, so we really have a, a nice setup for being able to have a lot of little adventures at home without leaving the property. Ah, very, very nice. So inside the house when he was uh, a pup where was he sort of like his space and and also where did he sleep when we when we started out um we he slept in a crate that night and i would set the alarm and get up at five in the morning because my husband was a a firefighter paramedic so he worked a 24 on shift and 48 hours off and so um he went to bed real early. We, we still go to bed really early because he had to get up really early. And, you know, you try to get as much sleep before you go in and you don't sleep. And so I would wake up this little puppy at five o'clock every morning and it was winter time. So we would go to the only place where we had lights, which was in the barn and lots of places for a puppy to play out there, but until it got light out and, um, he continued to sleep in the crate. We, I was, um, I was working from home at that point. And so I, I got to spend pretty much almost all of my time with him. And he, so he was never left alone if he was out of his crate. And um, at six months, we started thinking, I wonder how he would do if we left him alone in the house. And so that's when we started leaving him for just really short periods, knowing that six months is super young for a dog to be left alone. And I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, of course, knowing if we came home and he'd eaten the couch, you know, that it was our fault. But, um, you know, we left him for little bits of time and he got used to being free in the house. And so um, he started maybe about six months. Um, I sleep really light. And so I didn't want him to sleep in the bedroom. I wanted him to be in the bedroom, but I also wanted to sleep. And so we had um, a spare bedroom on literally on the other side of the hall from our bedroom with two open doors between them. And so we had an extra twin size mattress. We actually gave him a dog bed sheets and a comforter and a pillow and everything. And that's where he slept. Um, But he really wanted to sleep in the bedroom. So he would try different things to, and I don't want to tell all those stories because they're in the book, but um, he would try different things to get to sleep in the bedroom. (laughs) And then he started napping during the day in the bedroom. Um, And eventually he wore us down. And so he was sleeping on the floor, you know, on a dog bed, but, but he had, he had the run of the house. And so he got, he was, he got solid very quickly and he didn't tear things up. And so when we would leave, he, 
we didn't like lock in the laundry room or, you know, we created him for a period of time, but once he proved himself that he was, um, that we could trust him, then he was just allowed to be wherever he wanted in the house. Um, but eventually he did end up in the king size bed. (laughs) (laughs) And so since we had hardwood floor, um, my husband built him like a step and put piece of rug on it and a rug at the bottom so that he could hop up and down without, um, you know, slipping Excellent. on the floor. So that's where he slept the rest of his life. He's <laughs> right, right in bed. <laughs> they are persistent. <laughs> yes, when they know what they want. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people get divided, you know, with a dog in the bedroom or, and, and especially on the bed, but hey, you know, it's up to the, the people that share the bed and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I know there's some um, argument about whether dogs should sleep in the bed. And I think if you are struggling with the dog listening to you, you know, like they're doing what they want and kind of flipping you the paw all the time, (laughs) that maybe having them in the bed isn't the best idea, you know. Um, But he, I mean, he was typical Roddy. When he was young, he, he, tried us on a regular basis, but he also wasn't sleeping in the bed at that point. Um, mm-hmm. But you, I would do something that I called boot camp. And I, I don't know where I heard about it, but um, it was hard to butt heads with him because he was stubborn. And so I would put a leash and a collar on him and he would go, if he was out of his crate during the day, he went everywhere that I went on a leash for a day, maybe two days. So there was no arguing with him or trying to make him do things. But he learned really quickly that I just I just have to do what she says <laughs> um, without any kind of a fight. I mean, and it was hard. It's, it's hard to go through your day with a, you know, a growing really big boy moving along with you. But it, it worked really well for him. Yeah, so I think it's always good to have that communication and everyone's got to know their place in the home, I think. Yeah, true. <laughs> So did um, do you have any sort of like special toys, younger and growing up? Well, um, he always had Kongs, the, you know, the big black ones yep. and um, a lot of them because they would get lost under the couch or behind cabinets. And, you know, until we did a sweep of the house, we would have, you know, it would get frustrating trying to find one because we always gave him a treat when in a Kong, when we left the house and, and he had to stay home. And so, um, he always had, I think, I think when he died, he probably had four of those mm-hmm. just from going, I can't find a Kong. Let's just get another one. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the rest of the things he had, you know, the overflow and toy box, but you never really could pinpoint what was going to be special when you brought it home. Like, you know, I didn't have any kids. And so, I spoiled him. If I went to the store, I really wanted, I didn't every time I went to the store, but I really liked bringing him toys home. Mm -hmm. And um, I would bring something home that I would think he's really going to love this. And he would not love it. He would play with it a little bit and then it would get relegated to the toy box. And, you know, we brought him a, uh, like about a foot tall, just stuffed dog one time that didn't even have a squeaker in it. And he, he lived for things that made noise and he loved that thing. He, it went on car trips with us. Um, he took it to bed. He carried it out to pee. Um, he, I, and it just inexplicably <laughs> one would be special. And, um, and that would be what he, he, it would, he would carry it around with him for a long period of time. <laughs> so you mentioned the car. Where was his spot in the car? Um, well, he had, at, at that point I had a, like a Jeep Liberty and I had overlooked when I bought it and, and didn't have him yet that the back where the seats laid down, it didn't lay flat. So anytime I ever had to put him in there, he didn't like it because it, it just, it wasn't a good ride, but my, my husband had an extended cab, um, big truck. And so we would put the seats up and have him in the back. And I really wanted him to be crated, but a crate that fit him did not fit in, in the vehicles that, well, it didn't fit in the truck and it, it would have been, you know, sitting at a very big angle in the Jeep Liberty. So, 
So he ended up riding in the back of, uh, of the, the truck and, and he loved that. I, he would, he would sit with his, you know, depending on where we were, whether we could put the window down halfway or all the way down, he would just sit with his nose on the edge of the, um, of the windowsill, just smelling the smells as they went by. And, um, he, he, he loved to ride. We had to make a trip to Chicago uh, a couple of times to see a vet. And after the first trip to Chicago, he refused to get in the truck for a long time. And that was a huge battle mm-hmm. getting him back. In the truck. And I'm like, we have broke our dog. Like he loved to ride. We took him on a really long trip. Um, and now he won't get in the truck. <laughs> Eventually we worked it out and, and he did get back to loving to ride again. Yeah, sometimes that one single incident, it's like, not that's not going to happen again. <laughs> yes, yes. And I imagine going to a vet on the other end of that big long trip because he became a dog that loved to travel. I mean, we took him everywhere. Um, he, he would go into coffee shops that he probably wasn't, allowed in according to rules and regulations, but the owners let him come in because they loved him. (laughs) So he pretty much went everywhere that we could possibly take him. That's excellent. And that's how it should be. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It was always more fun. I mean, we, of course we had to board him a few times, but he hated to be boarded. Um, His personality completely changed. He went from being, lovable and just wanting to attention to just wanting to get through it. You know what I mean? He would be real solemn and he would do what he was told, but he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't that bubbly. I want to love on everybody. He just, he was just there. Um, And so uh, after a few times of that, we just said, we're just not going to do that anymore. (laughs) Where would you say his favorite places when you did travel would be? Oh my. Um, we have a lot of parks. We're lucky that the, the, where we live, we have access to maybe five or six parks. You know, if, if you're, if you're already running like an errand and you know, you get closer to another one, he, he loved to go to the parks uh, there. The, the one that is actually, Almost, it's second closest to our house. There's a there's a football field there for the kids. Um, there's two baseball fields and a um, a tennis court. And so, and and wrapped around all those fields is is woods with big like weed thickets that come very close to the edges of all of the the playing fields. And so. He loved to find things from the time that he was little. I mean, I, I taught him to find things in the house when he was just a puppy. You, he needed a lot of mental stimulation. Mm-hmm. If you wore him out physically, he, he could still be a challenge. <laughs> so you needed a balance of physical and mental exercise. Um, and so finding things worked, worked really well for that. But we would go to the park and he figured out, I guess, his, his tracking nose told him that there were balls in those weeds and woods. And so he loved that. I have pictures of him like sitting out in the grassy area with like baseballs and softballs and tennis balls. He even found a football at one point. Um, And I'm like, how do you lose a football and not go get it? But um, (laughs) he, he would love to do that. I mean, I think, and if I had to pick a park that probably was his favorite place to visit, that would be it because all the other parks were, you know, smelling the female and, you know, just seeing a, a different place. But, but that park was something special because he could, he could find all those balls. Oh, nice. Nice. I laugh uh, as well because our girl just has a knack of doing that as well. You'd be walking along or if I let her off somewhere, she'd, duck into a, a bush or a shrub or something and it can be mi- miles away from any playing fields and then come out with a ball in her mouth and it's like who goes here with a ball anyway <laughs> right and then doesn't fetch it back if it goes into the weeds <laughs> but it's amazing how they can just be walking along and go 
I smell a ball. I need to go find it. (laughs) (laughs) So much fun. Um, What about uh, interactions with other dogs? Any special sort of doggy friends that he sort of developed? Um, That was uh, something that was really special about Tonka, I believe. And and talking to a couple other Rottweiler friends, I explained some of the things that happened with him and they're like, okay, that's not typical Rottweiler. Um, And so he, as as much challenge as it was to start, um, he, and, and it, and it most definitely was not all us because I mean, we were learning as we went and messed some things up, but I think it was him as a dog that, he made us look better than we were (laughs) because he, his temperament was just fabulous. And he, when it came to other dogs, it was pretty amazing. Um, He, he loved other, he loved other dogs, but he especially loved the itty bitty, the tinier, the dog, the badder. And we were, we were at a dog, a puppy class one night and, there was, and of course they're all puppies, but Tonka's, you know, already like 70 pounds. And so some of the other puppies were quite a bit smaller than him, but it was the Boston Terrier puppy that he loved the best. And that lady was comfortable with Tonka, even though he was big. And um, at the beginning of every class, he would go over to this little tiny puppy and he would lay down on the floor and he would put his head flat on the floor so that this other puppy could be right on his level. And then they would visit. And he was like that all of his life. My, my mom came to visit. She actually came to visit and got this dog before we had Tonka, but she had had a Shih Tzu before and, and he, and she had died of old age and she was looking for another small dog. And so she came to visit from Pennsylvania and we, you know, checked all the rescues and the shelters and she was here for a period of time. So, you know, the first round of all the shelters, we didn't find one. And then they we found one that had um a little shih tzu boy that was about a year old which we always wondered like how do you lose a little tiny dog like that or how does a little tiny dog like that become a stray because he had been a stray and no one come and look for him um but she adopted him and and took him home and so he kind of started out southern and then went to the live in the north but um he was he was different in tonka in that Mom, when he was young, he played with a bunch of squeaky toys, but as he got older, he didn't like anything that squeaked and he didn't play with his toys anymore. And Tonka never stopped loving anything that made noise, giggle balls, you know, squeaky toys. And so when we went to visit and and we were, um, we were at their house, mom still had the, the box of Bentley was her dog's name of Bentley's little tiny, tiny like the itty ditty squeaky toys. Mm-hmm. And Tonka saw that box and he's like, can I play with those toys? <laughs> and mom said, let him go ahead and play with him. Bentley wasn't impressed to have a canine visitor in the first place, but, mm-hmm. but he was nice to Tonka. He didn't want anything to do with him, but he was friendly and Tonka was nice to him and went, okay, if you want to be left alone, I'd really love to be your best friend, but Okay. But Tonka played with all of those toys and Bentley hated it because they were all squeaky. <laughs> but, um, you know, even, even in that space where there was another small dog that didn't want anything to do with him, he, he respected that instead of like just being all over him and kind of forcing it. And when Bentley came to visit us, it was the same way. He, there was a, he loved mom to come to visit and then she came to visit and brought a tiny dog. And then that tiny dog didn't want anything to do with him. <laughs> and I even tried walking them together and he never warmed up to Tonka, but, but they got along. Okay. And, and it, it worked, but um, we, we live on a country road and, and there's unfortunately some people that have let their dogs run loose. And so um, the odd thing with Tonka as, as he got and turned into a big dog, I, I don't know what kind of energy that he put off because he liked all the other dogs, but they would come running through their yards and they would kind of get, and then they they wouldn't come out. (laughs) They would go, no, no, we're just going to stay in the yard. Um, And then, and then after we passed then they would run out onto the road and they would step around. Um, But we had, we'd had it and had a couple things happen at parks where, we were at one of our usual parks and 
I, a lot of times it was, it was empty, you know, during the week, there might be one or two people there. And, and this day there was no one at this park and it was a, it was park of trails, but you could pretty much see all of them from any place in the park. And I, I saw a guy come over from like a development and he had a little tiny dog with him that he had had loose and it didn't take long before I knew the dog had gotten away from him because I could hear him (laughs) yelling for the dog repeatedly and apparently no dog coming back to him. And so here comes this little tiny dog running up to Tonka and which I wasn't really worried about because I knew how he was with dogs, especially the little ones. Mm -hmm. And so Tonka's, you know, looking down at this little tiny dog and the small dog is looking up at him, you know, right under his nose. And here comes the guy and, He's like, oh my goodness. He said, I'm sorry, but he said he he's bitten some dogs in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, that's wonderful, but he's not being aggressive to Tonka. And so the guy wanted me to go pick the dog up for him <laughs> because he didn't want to get close to Tonka. <laughs> and I'm like, you just told me the dog has bitten, you know? So I made him go. Uh, knowing that, you know, Tonka wouldn't do anything but lick his face. Um, I made him go pick the dog up himself. And and then maybe I shouldn't have, but I did give him a little bit of a lecture on maybe <laughs> having a leash if the dog is aggressive to other dogs. Yeah, um, it definitely would help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier about the long drive to the vet's were there many trips that you had to make to the vet? Um, we had, we were dealing with um, an elbow issue with Tonka and I actually, and this might be something good to share because other people listen to it, but um, this was, you know, probably 13 years ago. So people might be hearing now about something called PRP for joints for dogs, like platelet-rich plasma. But at that point, I don't, it turned out that there was a a vet in West Virginia who had been doing it, but um, it it took us a long time to find him. But um, when he ended up with having this elbow issue, the, the orthopedic surgeon that we saw said, I can't, I can't fix that. Like it's, it, you know, he said, I could do surgery. It's not going to help it. And so I was working part-time for a doctor who did prolotherapy and PRP on people. And so I went in to work the next day and I was telling him about Tonka. And he said, well, if that was a person, I could fix that with prolotherapy. And I'm like, really? And he said, yeah. So he said, I, we do that all the time, you know, on people. And so he had me make a couple phone calls. He told me, a couple of different people, doctors to call that he thought might have veterinary connections. And we found um, a vet in Chicago who was doing prolotherapy. And so we ended up driving there. I, I think we went twice. It's, I have a terrible memory, sorry. <laughs> um, but it, we could have went three times, but I think that we went twice and it was like 11 hours in one direction. And, and we would get there, we would drive overnight, get there in the morning and he would treat Tonka and then we would bring him right home. So we'd be home the next night. And, um, he got tremendously better. I mean, it, it was pretty amazing. And then he plateaued. And so I, I went back to work and I talked to the doctor again. And he said, if that was a human, he said, I would, I would move to then do a PRP, which is where they draw the blood from the human or the dog and spin it down in a centrifuge and they put the platelets and the stem cells inject it back into the damaged area and it helps to heal that area. And so it, it took a three person operation. We would go to our regular vet. He would draw the blood. I would put it on ice and I would run it to the doctor's office and bless his heart. He came in on his day off one day to spin Tonka's blood for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would put it in a centrifuge machine and he would spin the blood. I would put it back on ice, get Tonka and take him to an, the orthopedic surgeon who he said, if you're willing to pay me, I'm willing to put it in there. He said, I don't really think it's going to do anything, but cause he had no experience with it at all. And it wasn't popular yet in the veterinary world, but he said, I'll do it. And so he did it. And Tonka lived, 
an active full life after that. And, and I also, I think we might've done, did that two or three times. So at about four years old, um, his breeder was in the, in the city close to us. And, and there was a dog handler class going on. And even though we weren't going to show Tonka, we never showed him because it, you know, with his elbows, with just, he, that was never going to go anywhere. And so we didn't do it. We ended up doing barn hunt. Um, but I, I took him to this class so that he, Katie could see him because she hadn't seen him in a while. And we trotted him around the ring with all these really experienced dog people who, you know, they, they watch dogs gates all the time in the show ring and no one could tell that anything had ever been the matter with him. But now it wasn't perfect. I mean, if he, if he really exercised really hard and, and we didn't, you know, monitor that, he would get a little sore and um, he got arthritis as he got older. But the difference between, a, you know, a, a puppy that they can't do surgery on and you're, I don't know, steroid shots and anti-inflammatories. Um, I, I mean, I don't really know what they would do because we didn't go that route. But to that, it, it was night and day. I mean, he had a full active life and um, I, I, I like to look back and kind of go, um, you know, how, how, if this wouldn't have happened, then that wouldn't have happened. And I, I had been in an accident long, long time ago. And eventually I had found the prolotherapy office and that's what kind of fixed me. And then if I hadn't got a job there, I never would have known that, that that's what we could do to heal Tonka. And yeah. so oh, I love the, I love the- how that Got connected collaboration and just the the outside of the box thinking and getting the you know the doctor and the vet and yourself just to coordinate that really groundbreaking procedure I guess in a way yeah because we were we were putting him on now granted very slow but we were putting him on a treadmill like twice a day to keep him moving which was com- the exact opposite of traditionally what they would do for an elbow issue would be crate rests and leash walking. And we were like exercising because <laughs> um, I was getting this, like you are doing completely the wrong thing. And, and even our vet at that point said, I wish you all the luck. He said, but I really don't think, I think that you're going to spend a lot of money and I don't think you're going to get anywhere. And I ran into him at the grocery store after he retired and we had moved. I mean, he was a great country vet. He was, had a fabulous demeanor with the dogs. Um, I took him in there once with Tonka having a broken toenail and he wasn't, you know, pain, something painful like that. And he, it didn't, it didn't face him a bit. He was so calm around the dogs. He just had fantastic energy. But when we wanted to go more holistic, then we ended up moving to a vet across town. Uh, But I ran into him after he'd retired at the grocery store and, and we'd lost Tonka by then. And I was talking to him and he said, I still can't believe that you got that dog better. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's commonplace. I mean, now our vet even does it, but we had ended up then going to West Virginia to another, even more experienced vet um, before our vet was doing it. But um, so, but it's really, I mean, you hear about it a lot now, but, but anyone that has a joint issue or even a pulled ligament, that's not healing. I would highly recommend it. Mm. So you mentioned um, that you did a bit of barn hunt with him. So I know what barn hunt is, but do you want to give a very brief sort of an explanation and, and how far he went into it? Sure. Um, it, barn hunt is, uh, is, is kind of a sport that came from a long time ago when, you know, back in the day when farmers were dealing with I guess rats and mice and stuff that would, you know, I, I imagine get into their crops and, or maybe into their stored crops. Um, there would be people that traveled around with their, I guess they called them go to ground breeds, um, were popular. The dogs that could actually, you know, small enough to go down into burrows and things, but, but then other breeds too. Um, but they would go around and clear the farms of, of vermin and, and so they, they made a sport that kind of simulates hunting rats and it, it tests the dog skill in a lot of things, you know, how they, how they listen to their handler. Um, they, they tunnel. So they, they, they put hay bales in different configurations. They, they'll have uh, a certain amount of rat tubes, but in the basic where we started, they would have like a, 
a tube that was empty, a tube that had had a rat in it and still had the same litter, but no rat in it at that point. And then the third tube that still had a rat in it and they would be hidden. Dog would have to go out and do different skills. He would have to tunnel through some hay bales and um, they would have one or two turns in it. To, I, I don't know if, how far advanced, how, how extensive the tunneling would be, but for Tonka, when we started, it was one like 180 turn. And they would have to climb up on the bales and, and the judge would, you know, yell tunnel and climb. And you would have to learn to read your dog and they would have to find the tube that had the rat in it. And then, you know, give you some kind of signal or you read their body language and then you would call rat and hopefully you were right. And then that would get you, um, you know, a successful run. And, and as you advance, then there was more tubes and more things to do. Tonka and I only did it a few times. So, um, you know, we got through, um, you know, like the, the first levels of it, but it was things that he already knew how to do. He could tunnel, he could climb. He loved to find things um, where the, the problem was me reading his signs. So, and being nervous in the ring also, because it's the first time that we ever competed. Um, so I would, I would, you know, try to be watching. And, and the, the, the first time that I called rat and I called it on the wrong place, the judge even could read his signs. She's like, <laughs> it was over there. You see that he was doing this thing. Um, and so I tried to work with him more at home to have like a, uh, you know, to, to figure out exactly what he was doing mm -hmm. that I could tell better. And, and we went out the next time we actually won that class. There was only two people in the class, but it was still a win. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was just a small barn hunt, but, uh, but it was a great sport and it was something that he could do. You know, he, he wasn't making huge jumps and mm -hmm. things like that. And, and it was something I wanted something that he would enjoy and he'd love to find things. I mean, that was right up his alley. Oh, nice. so. So, um, as far as, grooming and that sort of sort of um area of maintenance and things like nail maintenance i'm guessing he was a pretty chilled and no no real issues there yeah no he was he was uh he was good i mean i'm not i don't know that any dog just loves to have their nails done maybe they do <laughs> <laughs> he didn't care for it but he you know we were going to do it he tolerated it mm -hmm. so um and, you know, brushing, they're, they're pretty easy care dog. Um, we, we always brushed him. We walked every morning. So he got a brushing every morning because we would, um, we would always brush him with a, like a Furminator brush just to try to catch any ticks that might've hitched a ride. Mm -hmm. Cause we spent a lot of time in the woods and, you know, he was always in the weeds and exploring and looking for balls. And so, um, and then in the evening I did a, a manual tick check. So it's, it's, you know, kind of a wellness check. You feel, you're feeling all, all over them. And so Excellent. Um, he was used to, he was used to those two things happening every day. Um, he hated a bath. We, we never figure out why he hated a bath because from the time he was a little puppy, we tried to make it fun. Um, but he always hated a bath. He still got them. Um, and he didn't misbehave once you had him in the bath, <laughs> but, um, you know, we started out in at home and then after he got so big, it was, it was just difficult. It was hard on my back. And so we would take him down into the city to a bathhouse. And I, and I will tell you a funny story that is in the book. Um, he, a lot of times when he went to the, he knew what the bathhouse was. So it, it wasn't a surprise when he got inside and went, Oh my goodness, I'm getting a bath. But he would always lay down on the floor, like flat out on his side. Just let you know, I really don't want to do this. Um, and and they had a lot of young people working at the store, and you know they love dogs. They not all of them had a lot of dog experience. You had to stop them sometimes just from walking up and feeding your dog treats without asking. Um, and Tonka had a sensitive belly a little bit, and so we didn't let him eat just anything. But. Um, he was, he was laid out one day and we were kind of just joking around. We we're telling him how great it was to get a bath, you know, and we weren't in a rush. We were going to get hot dogs afterwards. We always got him a hot dog after we had a bath. But, um, the, the young guy came over that was working behind the counter and he said, 
we have these really great treats. He said, I'll give him one of these and get him up. And we're like, okay, but you can try, but it's not going to get him up. Like <laughs> only just telling him, okay, you need to get up now and get in the bathtub. You can't bribe him up off the floor. And so I said, you can try. And so he goes over and he puts this little treat in front of Tonka's nose and Tonka's nose twitched a little bit as he smelled it. And then he laid his head over to the side and, and moved his nose up onto the floor as far away from the treat as he could get it. <laughs> and the guy said, oh my goodness, I can't believe that he won't get up. All the dogs get up for this treat. And so then we got Tonka up and put him in the tub. And then I said, okay, now you can give him the treat. And he took it right away then and he was happy. <laughs> but yeah, you, you couldn't bribe him. He, he always looked at what did you want? as what did you have? (laughs) So that just didn't work with him. Bribing him just didn't work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Question I ask everyone is to complete the sentence. I I can't believe my dog ate. Oh, that's an easy one. Um, Stones and a spent 22 shell. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where he got that. (laughs) Um, We have a... We have a gravel drive and um, from the time he was, you know, a growing puppy, he thought it was uh, fun, I guess, to pick up little little stones and then want to eat them, which is something that we really needed to break him from. I, he obviously mm. couldn't go around, you know, eating stones out of the driveway, but um, we had, he was chewing a bone one day. And he broke a piece off, which he never had bones alone, but he broke a piece off. And before I could get it from him, he swallowed it. And so we took him to the vet. This is when we were seeing the old country vet guy. And we took him to the vet and had his, had him look inside there with an x-ray. And just to see, so that he could see how big the piece was, how did he feel about whether it was going to go through or not. And um, he said, he has a 22 shell in there. That's, I mean, it wasn't a loaded one, but he's like, that's kind of unusual. (laughs) So I I don't know. I I mean, we have lots of fields and woods and stuff and, and somewhere he picked up a 22 shell and ate it. And I'm like, but why would you even eat that? Like it's metal, (laughs) but at least it was small. And apparently at some point he, he passed that. So good. did you say he had any sort of quirky habits? Oh my, um, quirky habits. I don't know how quirky this is, but when we would take him, he, he loved a picnic table that we had at home and he always laid on top of it. And when we would get a bath and then go for hot dogs, there it was a little weenie wagon and then there was picnic tables and so we would sit at a picnic table and he wasn't allowed to lay on picnic tables at eating places, but he also didn't want to be on the ground. So he would sit on the bench like a person um, facing and, you know, and then we would feed him a plain hot dog, but I have no idea how that was even remotely comfortable for him. But my husband took a picture of us one day sitting there and I realized just how big his head was when I saw him his head beside mine, <laughs> which I think you don't really get a visual of that until you see um, you next to him. Um, so I, I don't, like I said, I don't know how quirky that is, but um, his other thing was that he, he learned Mark's schedule really quick, but he was gone a day, a night, and then early the next morning he was going to be home. And when he was young, we were always out in the yard by, you know, that early. And so he would insist on waiting at the end of the driveway for him. And we were out one morning and it was three degrees as it was. I mean, we were having just, just this terrible cold spell in the middle of winter. And he sat down at the end of the driveway and refused to come in. He's like, I'm not moving till my daddy gets home. And he started to shiver. And I'm like, am I going to have to like drag him across the yard? I went out and I sat down beside him and I wrapped this big heavy winter coat around him. And and there we waited together for his daddy to get home. So then as he got older, a lot of mornings, he waited inside the window. He, he would sit on his little stool to the bed and he could see the end of the driveway. 
from there. So half the time we were out waiting in the driveway and the other times he was like, nah, I think I'll just sit inside and wait for him here. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, if I do have one other, this is a, I thought about it when you, I'm thinking what's quirky. Um, he, he would not eat or drink if you weren't with him, which could be a problem. Like if you went away for the whole day, mm. yeah, but I told him to drink on command so I could get him to drink before we left. But if you, we would give him a treat in a Kong. And if it took us a minute to get out the door, he would get the Kong, the treat out of the Kong and he would eat it. If, if he was working on it, when the door closed, he would lay it down. And I mean, we had glass in the door so we could see what he would do. And when we would, when we would get home, he would grab that Kong and get the treat out. He would let it lay as many hours as we were going on the bed with him. And if we gave him the Kong and went right out the door, same thing. He would move the Kong sometimes to a different part of the house, but it always had the treat in it. And as soon as we would walk in, he would greet us. He would run and get the Kong, get the treat out and eat it. But he was not (laughs) eating that treat while we weren't there. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Off the, the top of your head, one of the happiest moments that you can recall where the two of you or the three of you? Mm. Let's see the happiest moment. Um, my husband and I got married um, in Pennsylvania on um, close to the Gettysburg battlefield. There's a cover bridge. And so it has water of course that runs underneath it into a little bit of a pond. And then, it comes down over falls and it winds back into the woods and it's just a nice wide stream with a, a lot of nice flowing water. And so we were married before we got Tonka, but when we would go visit and he would be with us, we would always stop there and visit the, you know, the covered bridge and, and let him go back into the back and um, play in the stream. And he, he didn't swim but he loved to play in the water as long as his feet could touch the ground. Mm -hmm. And he, he would, um, he would get in that water and he would feel rocks, you know, and he would apparently find one that felt special and he would pull and he would push and he would bark and water sloshing over him. And, um, and so one day we came walking from there and we went, we went around the back of the covered bridge and, and there was ducks on the pond and, and he was sitting there on the edge of the, on the edge, just intently watching these ducks. And I had a really good camera with me that day and I took some pictures of him and that's actually the, the picture that I put as the, as the book cover and the, the background on the cover is the rocks from the, where the covered bridge is built. And that's just a, I used that picture because that was a really special memory and it, you know, it was the one of the probably half a dozen times that we were there, but it's the one that stuck out because I, I took different pictures of him while we were there and videos and um, there was always so much joy watching him play. He, he got, he loved life and he just, he sucked as much joy out of every day as he possibly could, no matter how he was feeling. And, um, and that was one of those days. Oh, it's beautiful. Now we've mentioned a few times the book. Oh yes. I probably should have said that at the beginning. So people would go, what, what book? (laughs) No, well, it's good. I know they're all sort of waiting around to find out more. So lead us into why, the book and talk to us a little bit about that. Um, I've always wanted to be a writer um, and I never thought that, that I was good enough to do it. Um, and so, I mean, I was always write little things on Facebook, but not really anything. You know, I, I didn't try to write a book. And when, when we lost Tonka, I mean, I, it was just devastating. I mean, he was that special dog and to me, you know, he was, and well, and my husband too, but, um, you know, everyone has that special dog and, and he, he was that dog. And, you know, when, even after he died, we, it was kind of like, he just stayed around, you know, we, we talked about him a lot and, you know, for a long time, it was every time I thought about him, it was like being punched in the stomach. Um, 
and so uh, we have we had another dog. We she came a year before we lost Tonka. Um, we weren't looking for another dog. That's a whole story on its own. But um, we we ended up with a little. She's a pit bull, boxer mix something. Heinz fifty seven. And so we ended up being a two dog home before he died. And um, but you know we we just kept talking about him. And I was writing I was writing things on Facebook about about him being gone and about our life together and about losing him. And, um, his breeder, Katie, she was kept telling me, you, you need to write his story. Like you, you need to write it in a book. And I'm like, I can't write a book. And, um, but people sent me some private messages and they said, um, and I, and I don't know that the people realized how much those messages meant, but they said like, you know, you're, we've, you know, you put into words how we feel about our dogs and our life with our dogs and then losing our dogs. And, um, and my, my best friend had been, uh, had encouraged me to read a particular author's book and then read and read another one of her books. And the second one that I wrote, she wrote about writing and, and I was laying in bed one night and, um, I was reading this book and she said something about just the act of writing. And I got up and I got a pen and a paper or a notebook. And I, I wrote like the first chapter of his book. Um, and I still didn't intend for it to be a book at that point, but I, I just kept writing the stories like disjointed, you know, whatever I would think about, I would write that story. And um, Katie kept telling me, you know, write the book, write the book. And so this was when the pandemic started, it was about when I started writing and um and so I just kept writing them and I shared a couple little things and, and I, I started learning about publishing and, and, and stuff. And I thought, I, I'm just going to go ahead and like make a real book and, and publish it. And so it was a long process and a lot to learn. And when I, when I published it, I thought like, I'll sell like three of these, you know, like my mom and Katie and my best friend, you know, that, that'd be it. And, um, I, I thought to myself, if I ever sell a hundred of these books, I'm, I'm going to be thrilled, like over the lifetime of the whole book. But, but as I was writing it, I kind of realized how much I really loved writing. And it's something that I wanted to do all of my life. And I felt like Tonka kind of led me there. Like if I wouldn't have had his story to tell, Mm -hmm. then I, I would have never had the inspiration to just write and for whatever reason that he didn't kind of fade away um that was the reason i think that i had to write a story and so at by the time i got to the end i realized that the writing of it and because at first i kind of was writing fluff i was writing like events that happened and then i realized i needed to write the emotion in it you know the joy and the happiness along with the pain of, you know, things that happened. And so I kind of sank down into that. And, um, during the writing of it, it healed my heart, you know, from, from losing him, not that I don't miss him or anything like that, but, but I'm able to laugh and smile about him instead of always feeling like that pain, you know, when I, when I think about him and, I, I published it about three weeks ago. It, it's on Amazon, but um, I, I had shared that on Facebook and told people that I would send them signed author copies. And, and at this point between Amazon and my Facebook friends, I sold 102 and I'm only three weeks in. So like my goal for the lifetime of the book, I've exceeded already in three weeks. And so I'm, so thankful and so excited. And I have another dog book started. That's a fiction story. And, and then I'm also writing some paranormal romance stuff. It's not dog related. Um, although there'll be a dog in every story, there has to be a dog in every story. Um, <laughs> Cause they say, write What you love. And I love dogs. And so, um, so yes, that's, it's out there. It's, um, 
it's just titled Tonka and um, I'm writing under pen name. So my pen name is MJ Sloan instead of Julie Sloan. Oh, thank you. Wonderful. I am going to grab a copy and read it, I think. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you very, very much for taking the time out and sharing some of Tonka's story and treading that fine line between not letting everyone know what's in the book, but also giving us enough to whet our appetites to want to hear more. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me. This is my first podcast interview and it was, I was a little nervous, but excited also. And you made it very easy. I did very, very well. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much again. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Now, if you want to read more about Tonka, Julie's book is available on Amazon. Now, she's written it under her pen name of M.J. Sloan, S-L-O-A-N, and it's titled Tonka. It's T-A-N-K-A, Stories of Life, Love and Loss, with that one special dog. And I recommend that you do. Thank you to our new listeners, especially those in Villa Viosa Piedron in Spain and also in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Thank you very much. Don't forget, if you do want to leave any sort of review on whatever platform you are listening on, it would be highly appreciated. And don't forget to tell a friend how awesome the stories are on this podcast. Until next time, stay safe and remember, your dog is family.